Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is entitled Forever of the Living Dead. It is by Tim Kasher. It is from the album Middle Aging. Also on that song is featured Laura Jane Grace and Jeff Rosenstock. The album Middle Aging is out April 15th, 2022. And that would be tomorrow, unless you're listening to this in the future. Then it's out. Go buy a copy. Go buy that thing. And if I didn't say it, and I'm sure you already put it together, Tim Kasher is my guest today. And he was also in the band Cursive. He's a filmmaker and a writer. And uh, this is a really great conversation. And real quick, all things in the show notes, as usual, if you follow the podcast, and then you know that in the show notes are all the the rich and wonderful things Links that will take you to things like Tim Kasher's Bandcamp, his Instagram, where you can buy the album, where you could follow him on social media, all that stuff, as well as my social media at themattdwyer.com. And if you want to listen to the extra content that comes along with this episode, you could become a Patreon subscriber for $5 a month. And you could watch the video, you could watch, read blogs, there's all kinds of stuff on the old Patreon. Become a Patreon subscriber, please themattdwire.com or that'll just you could buy some merch and all their bullshit and also if you want to start a podcast or if you need your podcast edited I have a page where you could uh, reach out to me and say hey can you edit my my podcast can you help me develop the idea of my podcast I've helped a lot of people develop their ideas over the years I've worked with great comedians like Rob Delaney David Koechner uh, I've produced Painting with John on HBO, and I've been a consultant on a television documentary with Rick Rubin. I consulted. So I know a few things about helping people create ideas. So allow me to help you create your podcast idea. And then when you have your podcast, you could go to kellyrdwire.com, and she could do your website. She does all kinds of podcasts, political folk, actors, you name it. She does my podcast, thematdwire.com. She's also a great photographer, if you need a photographer. So, really, the DeWire family is a one-shop-stop need for all your podcast stuff. I can help you create your podcast, she could do the website, and I can edit it. All in one family. If you want my kids to scream in the background, as they do sometimes in mine, I'll, I'll, give, I'll throw them in for free. I'll throw in some kid screams for free. Uh, it has been a... Oh, a crazy week here at the Dwyer household. I had family in town, and uh, I'm feeling shame and guilt. Shame and guilt for just all kinds. You know, nothing like family to drum up all the weirdness from your past. Bring it to the forefront and go, oh, yeah, I, I need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, this episode with Tim Kasher is really great. Uh, we talked about it, but I edited it out, but we both come from Irish Catholic families. He's of six. I'm the youngest of five. Um, but I kind of didn't go, you could hear it on the Patreon, but we didn't go into it too much. Uh, and I think he talks about it a lot. I don't know. But anyway, enough of that. Enough of me. Please, very please, pretty please, enjoy my conversation with Tim Kasher of Cursive and his solo stuff. Just Tim Kasher. Forever, so far away. 
how long have you been out here? Uh, we came out in 2015, I think, 2016 or something like that. 20, something like that. Yeah. And then you went. And I was here. I was here last decade as well. Yeah, because yeah. you went to Montana for a while, which fascinates me. Yeah. Not, yeah, you just great. didn't have enough white people around you, so you wanted to go to Montana. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for like a whiter shade of community. <laughs> just yeah, where in, uh, Montana fascinates me though. Yeah, I had um, um it's, it was a town called well, Punchline, I guess. The town was called Whitefish. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a good buddy of mine. Uh, had done some recording. There was a, there's a pretty nice, pretty like nice state of the art studio, like up in the Hills in a whitefish in this town of like 8,000 people. It's like a ski town. And, um, I was just at that time I had moved at that time in my life. I had moved to LA and it was like, I was like, Oh, I'll move to the huge city. And then it was either moved to the huge city or moved to a really small town. And, um, I chose big city and then I was like, all right, I'll do small town next. And so the fact that it had a, that recording studio kind of um, helped uh, legitimize my kind of killing time up in a small town in Montana. Yeah. Like I know Albini's from like, there's some kind of like Albini's from, I think he's from Butte. I don't, I don't know that at all. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Yeah. He, and the bass player for Pearl Jam is also a Montana guy. And I'm like, what happens out there? There was a guy, I want to say, um, and I drove through the town too. I want to say there, oh man, I might have this wrong, but maybe like, uh, maybe Jason Little, is that his name? But a guy from Granddaddy, uh, and maybe I'm the wrong guy, but a guy from Granddaddy, um, lived in Livingston, Montana at a time. And I drove through that town once too. And that was really, really cool. There's some like nice little places up there. Yeah. I have some friends. I think that actually might be in Whitefish. And I think I, before I was doing the podcast with all music, I interviewed this rabbi which you don't think rabbi in whitefish montana <laughs> the only living rabbi in whitefish sure. was that was that strange to go from los angeles to montana because that just seems like almost that would be like a culture shock in a weird way uh i think that's kind of what i wanted to it was like it was cool it was interesting i I thought as you know, I mean, I like living in LA and it was cool at the time moving to LA and it was just, it was cool to just try something, uh, try to do a real 180 as well. So I, yeah, I was into it. Actually, I, I still, I can still, I still consider whitefish to be one of my favorite places I've lived. It's in some way, I mean, I guess it depends on your personality type and whatnot, but I mean, it's pretty charming. And, you know, I mean, it was, I lived a block off. I mean, just like a town of 8,000 people. So I rented this, cute little like kind of dilap semi-dilapidated like two-story home that was like two blocks away from like the downtown this like uber charming downtown strip you know so yeah i just became part of this community like really fast yeah how did they were they like who's this hollywood guy? yeah there was definitely <laughs> there's always some of that a, a big, the biggest question or the biggest uh uh hurdle people couldn't get over is um couldn't get past was that i don't i'm not a skier and that i wasn't up there to ski because <laughs> that's really because that's really all that's it's a ski town you know it's a ski town it's so like why are you here if you're not a skier right just cr for my uh, how crazy cheap was the rent in whitefish montana compared to what you were leaving <laughs> you know it was it was great it was great the only reason why i couldn't appreciate it more is because i grew up in omaha so oh, i know right. 
you know, like I grew up in like some of the most affordable with amongst some of the most affordable real estate in, in the country. So, you yeah. know, but it was, it was nice to return to that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I grew up in Chicago and like I paid one fifty. I paid one fifty for rent. <laughs> I mean, this is like 94 and you know, I could hear bullets and there was prostitutes outside my, or sex yeah. workers would be outside my apartment in Wicker Park. I know, you know, Chicago a little bit. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I lived there as well. Yeah. Oh you, uh, yeah. I know you shot your film there. Yeah. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When did you live in Chicago? Um, uh, probably, I guess it was like, I get my timeline wrong. Uh, screwy, but it was like 2012 to like 2015, I guess, or something like that. Oh, like I, before LA, before I moved back to LA. Boy, you, you're like me. I've moved around a lot, which is, Oh yeah. Has it been hard for you to, cause I, now I have to stay here cause I have kids and all that shit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I just called my family shit that that's not how I meant. It. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, Oh, well, I, but I have that urge to always be like, Oh, but wouldn't Portland be great for like a year? Do you have that sort of bug? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of, <clears throat> I think growing, growing up, I just, uh, in Omaha is fine, whatever, you know, but I just, I knew I needed to get, I knew I was going to like go do other things other than Omaha. And, uh, and then I just like, and I think just also with tour, I mean, yeah, I think it's just a sense of, um, adventure ex- exploration, uh, and touring is cool and you get that kind of, but like not enough. Cause you're only in, you're only in, uh, you know, Milwaukee for one night and you don't get a chance, you know, like you like yeah. moving spending, as you know, like spending, actually spending time somewhere is when you really get a chance to like, really explore it yeah that's what i always liked about like vacations too is like i don't want to go stay in a hotel in a fucking touristy neighborhood i want to go be in like a neighborhood where i can go have a beer with like the regular folk and like feel it like feel a city Uh, if possible absolutely yeah yeah when you because you said like did you have a sense of that when you were younger in omaha that like you wanted to move and get out and do things was that something that percolated early on in your life 100 percent. and i thought and i assumed that that was just a uh like an omaha consensus you know and it, <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know because it's because <laughs> it would make it would make sense to me and also i should say growing up in omaha omaha was like almost as like a lot of cities like cities do they grow you know and omaha really was like quite a bit smaller um when we were growing up and i think the attitude and the consensus was you know was uh it's like wow we're in omaha right we're like we're nowhere you know like and it was a place to get out of you didn't we didn't i don't remember any of us being like oh i love omaha that just wasn't the attitude (laughs) but um but you know we grew up and we got a lot of it had to do with we we at least in the music community we ended up developing a lot of pride in what we were doing and uh with that came like an appreciation for the town and i and i love omaha now and i mean the people who live there are are, def- are defender defenders of it now yeah which is great i've been there a couple times and like it's one of those cities that i instantly i was like oh it, that's kind of the speed of like city i would like to live in opposed to la which <coughs> you know it it can get in your head yeah, I, as long as um, I think I've, I've been saying this for years and years, is like people are like, "Oh, I should visit Oman." I'm like, "Well, it's like, yeah, you should, as long as you have a host. You know, if you have a guide, and you can see all of the great aspects of it, you know, uh, 
all the good restaurants and the good bars and the good uh, theater and community and stuff like that, then it is great. But uh, for somebody just, you know, it's like, it doesn't have a big, it's not big on tourism yet. And nor I don't know if it ever will be because it's like, I don't, what do you, what do you really do? You know, it's, there's not a, a lot. If you don't know where to, where to go, there's not a lot to do. See, that's my kind of tour city I would want to take a vacation in. Yeah, like, yeah. I, when I was there, I was doing, it was for work and I was there for like two or three days and somebody pointed out a record store to me. And that's like, to me, that's always like how I find, find the record shop, find the free paper. That's how you find the city. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually very much, is very similar to that as well. <laughs> my wife, my wife, she spent most of her career working for um, all weeklies. So it's kind of part of our, part of our heritage. Oh, did she work for one in Chicago? Yeah. The reader. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the, that's it. They're still kicking too. And still yeah, yeah. independent, which is, mm-hmm. which is rare these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Omaha, what, what was, cause obviously Saddle Creek and that whole scene was, uh, very seminal was that, what was the music scene? Cause I feel like I saw you speak about this a little bit of like, it was a lot of cover bands. Was there a vibrant scene before that got discovered or was that sort of like, yeah, yeah. That in, I mean, that's always like. It's always a good question to ask us Omaha musicians because <laughs> we, we are, we're, that's like, we're back to, back to like, you know, hometown pride or Omaha pride. It's like, that's, uh, it's, it's so it's really important to me. It's important to all of us, just like the, the music that we grew up on that we were, that we were exposed to and how that, um, helped, uh, give, you know, grant us confidence to, um, do what we do now. Uh, yeah, there's bands I, I rattle off and some people who are listening to this might know them and a lot of people won't, but it's, you know, there's bands like Mousetrap and Mercy Rule. There's also there's Simon Joyner who's still um, putting out albums today and um, has gotten a lot of like, you know, renowned internationally um, kind of in his, in the appropriate, like kind of like folk circles and stuff like that. But yeah, there's a lot going on and it was um, eye opening when we were teenagers. How did, did you, I, I don't know. Cause I think we're, similar in age and like because i saw a thing where you were buying the difference is you were getting cassettes off of columbia house i was getting records and i don't know if that's an age thing <laughs> or or yeah, there might there might have been a conservative thing on our end because it's just tapes were just so much cheaper oh yeah oh i wasn't paying for them oh <laughs> right well how what would the deal what would the deal have been for records because for it was like for tapes i mean I want to say it wasn't like you get 12 cassettes for a penny or something yeah like that, that. it was the same with records and i i wish it, my record collection got stolen at one point and i had but i had i wish i, I probably still had those I, you never see those in record shops like i've never picked up a used record and been like oh this is somebody's columbia house that's weird isn't it uh. i just realized this yeah. So what was the deal? I mean, honestly, because sincerely, if it was 12 records for a penny, we would have done that over cassette for sure. Yeah. But uh, this, or was... you know what? You know, maybe not. Maybe I'm just like not tapping into my 80s psyche well enough because <laughs> mine might now, have been 70s, late 70s. Now, because now. Oh, okay. For me, for me, yeah, it was definitely, um, I mean, we had records in the house. I bought records as in the eighties, but, um, cassettes like were, became more prevalent. They just, maybe just cause of, uh, Walkmans and stuff, you know, yeah. in boom boxes. And it's just like those, that was, that was a culture that, um, wasn't, that vinyl wasn't a part of, you know? Yeah. I remember like, I was probably junior high is when Walkmans came out and it was like, my brother stole someone's. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, but I covered it like it was like it was like a holy grail, like because no one had them because they were expensive for a while. Mm, that's wild. Yeah, you should have stole one. <laughs> yeah. I, think they were, I think they were more affordable at the time. By the time that I was buying, them. yeah, but I had a trash family. You should have had a trash family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but is that because I'm in that window? I don't know. It was hard to find. It was hard to find the cooler music. Was there a a, a way of finding? Because like punk came, all of that came like the one cool kid it was like this shit. Yeah, and it was yep. And, yeah, and so we got lucky. Um, I should say Matt and I. Matt is Matt McGinn, and um, Matt McGinn is uh, like kind of like my life partner in music. He's uh, he plays in cursive, and uh, we grew up together in the same block. And uh, we um, we were fortunate enough to have like that cool kid pipeline came down um, specifically through like my older brother and he hung out with some of the, like the cool kids that ended up being like in bands, you know? And uh, so we were turned on to like violent films and uh, you know, all of it was a cure Smith's generation X, sex pistols, hoodoo gurus, like uh, untouchables, uh, you know, just like going on. The violent films freaked me the, like the lyric because there was nothing like it's weird now you like go to a ball game and you hear blister in the sun and you first of all you're like there's a song about masturbating at the baseball game <laughs> but, yeah. but it's like it was mind-blowing like there was nothing like it like and i think people have forgotten how raw and scary they were uh i guess i guess maybe i was you know so i need to know like what is your i mean what is our age difference i'm 47 i'm 53 Okay. That's, that's for the back at that era. That's enough time amongst my 53 year old friends. I, I, do recognize, I do recognize that there is like a gap. There is a gap that that occurs when you're that, when you're young, you know? Um, cause I guess I was like young enough that, um, violent films were just fucking awesome. And there was nothing like, and it was just like, they were super, it was super cool that they cussed a lot and sang about sex, you know? Yeah. Uh, to, 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 yeah. Just, I mean, some of the lyrics were just, I, I'd never heard, and then later you, you know, you read some books and you're like, oh, that's where they got this filth. <laughs> Good filth. I don't mean to judge that, but. <laughs> I love to talk about violent femso as well. Cause I, I agree with you though, that it's, um, are, do we like talk about them enough? You know, like, are, are they like heralded enough or regarded enough is like one of the most important, I think they're one of the most important, most influential, um, alternative acts of our, of music. Absolutely. And I feel like because a couple songs got co-opted by, as it always seems to happen, frat boys or whatever, and then it becomes this... I just remember I working in a bar and seeing people go crazy for Blister in the Sun. I'm like, you don't fucking know. <laughs> like, right. You don't know the importance in the history. It's just become this fuck-off party song. Right. And like how some people, like what some people's impression of Fugazi might, must be because of Waiting Room or something, you know? Yeah. And I think a decade later. Yeah. I, I've been trying and I saw on your Instagram that you read the book sellout and that, and did you, you read it, right? Or you just mm-hmm. posted about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I'll post about books that I don't read to look smart to people. <laughs> <laughs> look at something I've read. <laughs> and I always make sure that people know that when I heard something, it was on NPR. Not on the radio. Right, right. <laughs> but like, I'm fascinated by that. And it was, did Omaha must have been affected by that, that era of 
uh, labels, the label hunt, right? Uh, yes. How so? Um, like, do you mean as far as like, um, the majors like coming in yeah. and being like, right. Um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, is crazy. Um, for in, I mean, it certainly, it certainly wasn't for me and for cursive. It was like really, it was pretty low key. Um, and, uh, for bright eyes and paint, it def- certainly, it was definitely bigger, but it wasn't ever, um, that like crazy, it wasn't that crazy, like, you know, like having to like get away, give us some space. Uh, and don't the best answer I have it, which, if, which is still kind of a question. Um, still comes in with a question mark. Cause I think, I think that what we were doing was mostly being representative represented as such a, um, insular, um, staunchly independent, uh, collective that is like that you want that you can't like infiltrate and, uh, and that, that might've like slowed down, um, slowed down the movement a little bit as far as majors pounding on the door. Oh, that's interesting. And that's good. Cause it seems at least from that book, I don't know. It just seemed to hurt a lot of people. <laughs> and, and uh, another suggestion too might be that if maybe everything we were doing had been, if we if we had been doing the same things, like say maybe just a decade earlier, or even just like five years earlier, or something like that, that um that feeding frenzy that was happening like in the mid nineties was like seems like pretty intense, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated with. Like it did Fugazi kick off that don't sell out or is Ian Mc, and or minor threat in that era? Is that what kicked up? Cause it's like, it's so staunchly nineties where this don't sell out. And it was like with such like, I mean, in that book, there's people being physically attacked for going to major labels and it's really, and I'm like, when did this start? Because a lot of the early punk bands were not on independent labels and that, it's just, it's, I'm like, I'm fascinated by how that got spun out. Yeah. That's a good, uh, that's a good question and a good observation. I don't think I've given that a lot of thought. I think I just kind of generally assumed and, or thought that that was, that it occurred through the eighties and nineties, but you're right. I mean, a lot of the stuff we listened to the eighties was, um, uh, you know, I mean, there were obviously, I mean, discord it did exist and through the eighties, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff actually was like on IRS or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I mean, maybe it was a kind of like a. I would say a, since I, I'm a, I'm a proponent of working independently. I'd say it was like a positive backlash that maybe happened post eighties, where um, <clears throat> where uh, independent labels were able to kind of like build up, or like independent music was able to splinter off and become its own thing, and then there were like protect it let's protect it and it kind of worked for a little while but you know <laughs> was o- omaha under was that very a, a conscious choice of like we are going to remain independent and sort of protect this we were yeah i mean definitely the way we grew up with like our records with the records we went to the antiquarium in omaha that would have been like the store that you would find in omaha you know uh independent yeah like that the book sellout is like definitely very relevant to our scene growing up in the 90s it's like you don't sell out you don't fucking sign to a major and you know it was it was we were very um militant about that attitude yeah 
I just, as a guy who's 53, I wish I would have done some selling out. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to own where I live, but... Uh... <laughs> I know, and now that you recognize, too, that like it, none of, it turns out none of it ever mattered at all. It's just like, oh, God... What were we ever? What was anyone fighting for? The music industry is just like has every has everyone under its thumb. It seems like it's just like or and or there's a lot of ways I could put that or just floundering and has like I always say that the music industry like really suffers from a lack of lobbyists and like so like there's, like there's no one really protecting the industry and so it's just like you know like the internet showed up and like everything just kind of became like I don't know what's the first to go it's like well an mp3 of a song is like really easy to steal and it just kind of went from there yeah it doesn't like with streaming and stuff i was found some thread the other day and it's like people it doesn't seem like the labels suffer from streaming it seems like as per usual it's the artists that like am i mistaken there yeah i mean (laughs) yeah i have i definitely talk to the to the you know my friends who have labels they they're not they're like so much less concerned about spotify than artists when i talk to artists about it and artists are far more frustrated i suppose if you i suppose yeah if you look at it as like well the label is you know like no one's getting paid a lot but at least the label's getting like you know half or you know half you know whatever half to 80 percent of every single artist that is being streamed that that's a lot more lucrative than the, than the sole artist who's just getting 50% of like their own, their sole catalog or, uh, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe that's some of it. I don't know. I, the way I see it is, um, is labels just trying to remain optimistic on a, in, in a sinking ship, you know, just like, Oh, well, it's like, you know, like though, this is, this is the standard now. So what do you, you know, it's like, it's really hard to fight. And so, you just kind of have to like grin and bear and be like, Hey, it looks like we still have royalty checks coming in. They're not nearly the same as what they used to be, but they're still here. Yeah. It'll be, it just seems like everything has been like, even like live nation now owning like small venues. It's just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like it's yeah. maddening. It's like, in th- it is maddening. I can't even, I can't don't, I can't even, man. I can't, I can't, I get on such a fucking soapbox about, Ticketmaster and shit, and I don't even, and I hardly even know what I'm talking about. I think what I'm talking about it, but it's just like all I can say is that it's just like I'm just so frustrated by it. I'm just so frustrated by it. Like, uh, you know, the other day looking at buying um, at buying like fifteen dollar tickets to a to a show, and uh, I'm buying two tickets, and the fees was fourteen dollars. So it's just like who's who, I'm buying another? Who's this other ticket for? You know, I'm buying like another ticket yeah. just for fucking just for fees for. I can't, I'm sorry. I just cannot believe that that is what it costs you. Yeah. I that, that's like, the, the service fee is $14 to buy two tickets. Yeah. I remember like seeing the shins when they first came out and it was like $15 at a, you know, and I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of pricey. But, and then the next time they came around, it was like way more. <laughs> it was like, it was like, what happened? Like, it just seemed like overnight suddenly it was just a, worse than ever. Yeah. And let's just like, look at like so many different industries and let's look at like what internet service fees are, just what service fees in general are, and then compare it to, to the event, you know, to the uh, event fees. Cause it's not just music, but it's basically just live performance fees. It's absurd. It's fucking stupid. It's a lie. It's clearly a lie that we're all just kind of like, I don't know who is, will, will anybody police this? You know? Yeah. But, uh, 
to to switch gears back more towards you. <laughs> uh, me, me. But I'm curious because you made a film, and I was or films, and I. But I was like the where that sort of spark came with uh, also music. Was it? Would you always interested in both and just looking? Yeah, I um, yeah, I I guess like maybe my 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 short story of um of of wanting to do of wanting to be some sort of writer i definitely started my daydreams all started with wanting to make movies was movies Um, first yeah and uh and and then uh pivoting but you know also love music and and pivoted over actually i didn't even pivot just like while i was while i continued to have daydreams about movie making i started learning how to play guitar and uh started writing songs and and that just kind of uh snowballed in a in a way that was surprising to me in some ways in some ways the the, the start of the snowball really was just that kind of like what happened with connor oberst as well but just like at an earlier at a different a few years back was that in omaha like a city like omaha <coughs> i think they they were just so surprised that i that like a 15 year old was writing songs and recording them and stuff and so I feel like the snowball started then, <laughs> you know, just like, like, Oh, like I'm onto, like, it looks like I'm onto something. And then I kind of like kind of kept um, pursuing that. And, you know, aside, I do love music and I love writing music. So it's, that's, so that's all good for me. Uh, but yeah, I, but I'd always, even then, I think I saw it as like, and then eventually maybe I'll be able to get into making movies too. And I'm still like trying to figure that part out. Um, it's so easy to get in film. <laughs> as a guy who's been trying uh what were some of the films that you first that you first noticed that you were like oh maybe i want to be a part of this uh it's <clears throat> it's like a, a little bit of a tacky reference uh but i think it is appropriate for a an eight-year-old or for a seven-year-old at the time is uh going seeing et was like it was like one of the most profound like experiences of my childhood. It was just, and it was just kind of everything, everything about it. I mean, <clears throat> like the going to the theater, waiting in line. Like I still remember all of it, just like the curiosity of what ET looked like. I don't know if you remember that they really kept ET shrouded. Like you didn't know what he, you didn't really know yeah. what it was going to look like. Uh, and then also the benefits of, you know, feeling like a, you know, feeling like I was the right age. I feel like it was a movie made for me. Like it just spoke to me so completely. Uh, it was that it just, I think it forever changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, as you were saying that I like all those visuals of, I saw that with my mom and I just, even the shitty sticky floors and then, cause it did the theaters weren't like they are now where it's like, big luxury comfy seats they were yeah. like <laughs> no. they were usually gum stuck to them and at least yeah. in my town yeah did you uh and i did for, i forgot that about et that they hid et which was really brilliant yeah yeah it worked it worked on me <laughs> <laughs> did you and i didn't really that's uh i guess but i would say around that same age i was there was something alluring about film. I didn't know that I wanted to participate in that world, but I knew I was drawn to it. I didn't, and like behind yeah, the scenes stuff. Yeah, I think there's something because I can also I can also like reference like Goonies, but the, the, the Goonies was like a really big deal to me. But that was 
the that was uh, that was uh, more like maybe it's not right to say on the surface, but just like it's like the Goonies did its job as in. I, so I went and saw it. I was a child. I loved it. And then Matt and I like, you know, um, tore our houses apart looking for a map, you know, looking for like a map. And so it was like, it was just fun. Like I just, we loved the story and we laughed and it was just a great time. But there's something about ET that was just that like got into me, got inside me like so much that, <clears throat> that it, I was like, I just want to be a part of this. Like I, like, how do I, how do I like become, how do I like make ET or like produce something like this? I don't know why an eight year old wanted to do that so badly, but <laughs> I did. Did you eventually move on to more like artsy art films or did you sort of stay in that sort of ET world? I um, yeah. I mean, I suppose I started as, as soon as probably as soon as I could as a teenager, you know? Yeah. It was a similar thing to me. It was like the cool guy. There was a cool guy who was like, yeah, but actually it started with Woody Allen because I was like into comedy, but he, Woody Allen was different, which I didn't get. But then it moved to like noir and Fellini and all those things. Yeah. A lot of that was like education I had to do myself. So I think that's probably more like once I was like 16 and up, you know, and then it started like my own education. Yeah. I used to, st I started going to the fine arts in Chicago. And it's like, saw, like seeing like Hal Hartley films was like, and Hal Hartley and like early Gus Van Zandt was just kind of like where I felt yeah. like it was more, I felt more attracted to that. I was like, Oh, these are films that I actually can relate to. Um, yeah. Thanks for mentioning Gus Van Zandt. Cause that was my, as a teenager, that was my favorite director. Yeah. I, I saw a uh, drugstore cowboy in the theater and I was just like, I mean, it had so many other mm -hmm. things that a young guy is going to be attracted to, to, you know, that heroin mystique that seemed to thank God I yeah. did it. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, that was one of my favorite, one of my favorite movies as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I rewatched it recently and it was, it really holds up. Like it's great. I agree. And I'm really glad to hear you say that. Cause I think that it would be easy to kind of uh, dismiss it, but it's like, you, you kind of have to keep it. It's in a, it's a time capsule, you know, movie and, you kind of have to, you kind of have to keep it in its, uh, it has a certain timely f uh, feel to it, I think in the early, uh, from the early nineties, but I think that's like what, there's a beauty to it. That's right. I mean, don't we, don't you just adore sixties and seventies films and the fact that they do have a time capsule feel to it. It's amazing. Yeah. You know? What I found, have found odd is that there's been a lot of like, especially, well, I mean, it's solely on so social media where people are critiquing films, but it's like, you're not keeping it within the context that it came out. <laughs> it's like, like somebody was like, Oh, rebel without a cause is just a bunch of privileged whiny kids. I'm like, it's first of all, it's about a lot more than just that. But it's, <laughs> like, it's just astounding that that's, we've wound up to where people can't put it in its perspective. Yeah. No, that's really, that's a <clears throat> really valid ar argument. A really good point. And it's too. Also, how about like, um, how do we like truly like critique um, children's films? You know, it's just like, well, guess what? You're like, <laughs> you're, you're over ten years old, so shut up. You know. <laughs> I caught myself doing that, reading books to my kids. I was like, this is really redundant, and it's like, yeah, it's supposed to be. Stop being a pretentious asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of children, kid, the movies my kids watch are. I find them a lot better than most contemporary films. Like there's a lot more going on. It's kind of, I don't know how many kid movies you watch. 
I'm a huge fan of <clears throat> I'm a huge fan of Pixar, and I think Pixar did a lot to like revolutionize like how like like every hey everyone like hey adults try harder like we can make like make stories for kids and just make them better. They all pretty much make me cry. Yeah, <laughs> like Pixar is great. Yeah, I mean, I look at them and I'm like, I don't think I could ever write. I don't think I could do it. Like they're they're too smart for me. You Pixar people. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, it's, I, I, yeah, as somebody who likes to, I like to think of myself as like, I've written a lot of screenplays and I feel like I'm kind of like learning somewhat of like a knack of how to do it. If somebody was like, Pixar is like, write one for us. I'd be like, no, <laughs> I, would, I don't, I don't know how. Yeah. I wonder how many people are involved in those processes though, that don't. Yeah. And I say that's another reason just to say no, I think it just be a thing. It'd yeah, because it's like old Warner Brother cartoons. There's like, there's like, it was just there was a staff of dudes throwing out gags, and none of those got. That would be the best job in the world, just being like, yeah, no, now the, the how about an anvil? Okay, I'll take my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you get ideas for, is the way you get ideas for screenplays and songs? Do they come about in a similar way? Is that a weird no no not no not really at all i think that for song i mean i suppose there's a plenty of different ways to write songs but i'm kind of just stuck i i'm stuck in the way that i've always done it which is just uh fooling around on guitar and um getting and letting that kind of uh inspire me and get me excited about a certain chord structure and a certain melody that like that, that you know, arises from it. And, uh, and that's how I do that. Whereas for stories, it's just walking around, you know, just kind of like trying, you know, just yeah, whatever, you know, what do you do? just like, you start, you start throwing different, like, uh, start throwing different, uh, you know, uh, people into the same room or third to start throwing a different crises into it, you know, into it, uh, in, into an unusual setting or, you know, yeah, because I, I, I think I that came to mind because I read someone said like that your lyrics or your songs were sort of cinematic. So I was wondering if there was a conscious connection to that, or I don't know if you even would agree with that. Uh, I take it as a compliment. I think that's nice. Uh, but uh, yeah, I should say too, I, I, when I say that that's the way I started to write songs, um, that's... I guess I'm talking about the wrong part of the song. Um, as far as like, uh, uh, composing a song, that's how, that's how I, I did it. I do it as, as explained, but uh, when it comes to writing lyrics, uh, I guess it's actually, actually is kind of similar to, um, the way I come up with films because come up with scripts, I should say, because it's back to, yeah, it's walking around. I just walk around and, uh, just kind of like working on, working on the melody in my head and start trying to like place, um, either expressions or, um, scenarios into the, uh, into the meter. I, I wonder how many teachers say that how crucial walking around is to creativity. Cause as you said, we're saying that I was like, I always walk around when I'm trying to, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm grasping at connections here. <laughs> I, I certainly, I certainly do it because of, um, for multitasking, cause I'm getting a little bit of exercise, like <laughs> casual exercise, but, um, but I also fully recognize that it's for me anyway, it's so much better to, um, to like let the world around me kind of 
exist and who know you know like whatever maybe like a car crash happens in front of you or you know you just like whatever weird billboards you see or whatever interest you know i mean there's just like yeah. there's a lot there's just so much to see out there that sparks imagination versus staring at your wall i mean what are you gonna get you know and i and i can't um i can't i can actually I watched, I put on bad movie or not, not even bad movies. I put on any kind of movie, but I pr prefer like action movies or sci-fi or I, something visually stunning. Um, horror movies that do a lot of B horror movies while I'm playing guitar. Um, Cause I can kind of stare at it mindlessly while I'm working on composition, but I can't have a TV on at all. If I'm working on um, any kind of actual writing, like the usage of words, like uh, lyric writing or screenwriting, uh, I can't. Do you I can't uh, do that? Find music at all influences your like script writing or other word writing. Music's a that's a it's a funny one. So I have like seasons where I listen to a ton of music. Um, and when I don't, I mean, I have different seasons of where I can like. I love to consume music uh, as a musician and as a <laughs> fan and as a member of the the industry. You know. Um, <laughs> But I can only, there's only certain periods where I can, certain times of the year I can do it. And when I'm working on um, a script, that's, that's great because I can just play records all day and, um, and just kind of like let them go run on in the background. And I'm kind of half listening, but mostly just kind of like appreciating them. Uh, but obviously, clearly when you're working on, um, I can't listen to music when I'm right. You know, I can't watch a musical when I, as far as what I put on TV, I can't put on a musical Cause it's like, there's, I can't have music happening while I'm working on music, <clears throat> you know? So, so it's, I, that I'm, so I start to miss music after sometimes in certain periods, certain times of the year. It's like when I don't really get a chance to listen to it as much. Uh, but then there's other times where you get to listen to music a lot because you start working on record production on, on, um, you know, like you're like getting ready to record your album. And then you have the joy of like listening to all kinds of stuff. Cause you just want to like, I think that's a very safe way to find inspiration. It's like, you've already written your music. You already, you know, uh, and now you're just like, how do they, like, how loud is, you know, like how loud is the snare on, you know, like, uh, you know, just things like that. Just like what, you know, or like what kind of like lush arrangement or like, Oh, that's interesting. This song like uses no arrangement. This song's totally stripped down. I wonder why they chose to do that. You know, just like I have a black, I, I enjoy like, deconstructing music when I'm ready to work on an album, when I'm ready to record an album. Yeah. Did you, and you scored your, you've scored your films, right? Mm hmm Yeah. Was that process, that was the process of creating that music completely different than, and did you have that in your head when you were writing the script? Did that, did they ever become connected? Uh, it's a, you know, I just like, it's all too young for me. It all it's like, it's, I'm, I'm still like, uh, I'm just too young in that process to really like have to give like definitive answers. I did. I scored a, I scored a movie for some, someone, I scored someone else's movie and that was great once. I mean, that was like, um, that was like great. I kind of like, I can, I call I, I consider it to be like scoring with uh, training wheels kind of, because they wanted um, a score that was not score kind of like they wanted something in between. Um, I did, I wrote to their scenes, <clears throat> but they wanted it to feel more like, uh, like it was just song, like it just songs. Like they didn't want it to be um, articulated, you know? Right. Like, That's interesting. Like, 
uh, you know, uh, and, and that was, that's, that was the style they wanted. And so that was, that's why I kind of say it's training wheels. Cause it was like a little easier just to be like, all right, I'm just going to take the vibe of this and then write a song that feels like it's suitable to the scene. And I, you know, and then I tried doing that with my own, um, film as well with no resolution and, uh, and, uh, I'll, you know, to be critical of myself, I think that it, worked and didn't work you know like i don't think it was always i don't think i always had the right song um but uh i kind of just i kind of just had to kind of keep convincing myself to keep moving forward anyway i think that mostly it's just because i'm young at it i'm it's new for me and so i don't it's not something that i'm like i don't have like that like 20 years of experience of doing that you're in rare company by the way i don't think a lot of directors have scored their own work i think chaplin has um john carpenter Oh, that's right. And I know Hal Hartley did some under did the he? name of Ned Rifle. Oh, oh, you know, I think I have come upon that before. Yeah. <laughs> I th- think that's, uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, his name shuffled around. I could be wrong. Um, how was it to go into, because di- I've, I've directed stage. Mm-hmm. I've directed. Oh, cool. I tried to direct one short film and it was a, drastically different than directing the stage <laughs> and i it sure. also i directed one person shows so there's not a lot to moving parts <laughs> yeah yeah couple uh industrials for like campbell soup but that's a whole nother thing <laughs> that's nothing to brag about well i didn't go to film school and i uh and so i found a, a lot of confidence in um like david cronenberg his like pitch to his pitch to new filmmakers is like, is what you've heard before from other people. I'm sure, but I'm just citing Cronenberg as a person who said it. It's just like, just surround yourself with people who do know what they're doing. And, uh, and then just like, and then just like, you know, just go in with just kind of move forward with the confidence that you do have an idea of what it should look like and, and assert your opinion about it, you know, and, and then, and then lean heavily on the people who know how to use the cameras and know how to do lighting. And, and so that's kind of, that's what I did. Yeah. It's wild. Cause a lot of those, but to think of back to like John Houston and that era and before they didn't have film school. And I think a lot of them oh, yeah. poo-pooed. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, like I have two kids. Poo-poo. I say poo a lot. But, <laughs> th- you know, they, they, they looked down on film school and thought it was kind of absurd. Huh, which I think it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. You know, as I was even just describing, explaining that, I really, it's really not that different from music either, but for some reason people kind of, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, like we're supposed to be, I, I don't you feel like there's a certain aura of like, Oh, if you're getting into film, like, you don't even go to film. You haven't gone to film school. You don't even know what you're doing. But like, what about music? It's like, we don't, we don't know how to, I don't know. I, I, I've been doing this forever. And I still, <clears throat> I'm still actually I've gotten because of out of necessity, I've gotten kind of decent at production work, but I still don't know. You know, and I've never been, I'm not an audio, I, I'm not a proficient audio engineer at all, you know? Uh, and so we still go into the studio and we've still put ourselves into the hands of an engineer to, um, to track everything for us. Right. And we, and we go in there with confidence being like, well, I know what the song should sound like. And this engineer is going to help make sure that the drums sound good and that the bass sounds good. And yeah, some of the greatest f- filmmakers have not gone to film school. 
Like, I mean, Woody Allen didn't go to... I, I, I know Woody Allen's a questionable name to bring up, but, but he still did some good directing. But, like, Houston, uh, Adam McKay didn't go to film school. Like, these are a lot of peop, big... I, yeah. It's in... At Cassavetes, I don't think, went to film school. I really don't know these people's histories, but <laughs> I, 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 I believe you. <laughs> Debate me. Come on. <laughs> I love Cassavetes. I, I'd, li- I'd love to think that he didn't go to film school. I'm pretty because, sure he didn't. And I think... Or actually, maybe it'd be cooler to think that he did go to film school and he still like chose to make everything so raw. Yeah, I think film school... Uh, the rawness could have also come from his uh, incredible alcoholism because it was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and Peckinpah. I don't think Peckinpah... Supposedly, Peckinpah lived at the uh, uh, that lot that's across from Formosa and that he had... And, he lived in the lot for a while and he would just go back. Really? And, yeah. And somebody had um, a tunnel. Which, uh, this, will be, this will be boring to listeners, but what, uh, what are you saying? Like to the West or to like Caddy corner or like to, directly uh, the, across the street. Yeah. There's like foremost, I forget what that lot is called. I worked on it for two seconds. I wrote for funny or die mm-hmm. for a while. And oh, okay. So the one just to the West of it. Yeah. Yes. To the West. And I suppose, and there's also a great story of John Wayne passing out at the Formosa. I don't know if you've ever heard that one, but he passed out at the Formosa and they were just like, fuck it, let him sleep there. The next day the guys came in to open up and he was in the kitchen cooking eggs. (laughs) Not a big fan of John Wayne as a human being, but that's a good story. All right, Tim, I thank you very much for your time. And uh, hopefully I, I see you sometime in the real world. Yeah, sounds good, man. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Dwyer. Please become a Patreon subscriber. Also, rate and review the show and tell your friends about the show. The best advertising and the best thing you could do to help me is tell people to listen to the show. Thank you very much and have a good day.